We're continuing our series in uh, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 6 and 7 today. We're sort of picking up the second half of 6 and going right through into 7. We're not going to read all of that. Uh, that might be just a good thing to do instead, um, but uh, it, would take, it would take an awful long time. So I'm going to be dipping in and out, and if you've got your Bibles handy, that would be really good. <clears throat> uh, in fact, it's always good if you know what's coming up to have a read at the passage and chew over it before, before we do it. I was in uh, a number of years ago, if you put the next one up, please, Corv, I was, I was in a, a place where I got a chance to do whitewater rafting. Uh, you can see it's a number of years ago because I haven't changed a bit. Uh, no comments. But um, <clears throat> it was brilliant. It was absolutely awesome. Uh, if you've never tried it, I strongly recommend it if you can swim. If you can't, maybe not. Um, and uh, it, it, we, were, we were in places in this river where you couldn't see if you're walking down the side. There were times when the river rose up and, and, and just drove us, and there was a real adrenaline rush. There were places of beauty. There were places of challenge. And you were, as a team, you, had, you were told how to row and how to do all these things. And it really was an experience that I've never forgotten. We had a ball. I remember on one particular occasion, we were given these safety instructions at the beginning, maybe about 20 minutes, 30 minutes of safety instructions, what you need to do, what you must not do, what you must wear, uh, where you stand, what happens when things go wrong. It went on quite a bit. And of course, the guy beside me wasn't properly listening. And during the journey, he got jolted. He fell back and knocked me in. I was the one who was obeying the rules. I was in the water, and uh, grace prevailed, uh, and I, was, I remember being in the water, just watching the boat going away, thinking, I hope they have spotted the fact that they're one down, but thankfully, I, I, I stuck to the rules, and, and I, I got myself in the position where I was meant to, and they dragged me and pulled me back in the boat. Why am I telling you all that? Well, today, we're talking about the subject, a number of things. We're looking at intimacy. And by the way, I'm just looking around. It's, it's a 12 plus um, uh, certificate. Uh, uh, so, um, so I'm just, just double checking. It's a wee bit late. Um, but uh, yeah, if, if you feel as if you're under 12, then do feel that, that, that you can leave the room at this point in time. It's about intimacy. It's about marriage. <laughs> or if you're related to me, you might want to leave the room as well. <laughs> um, and and it's, it's about singleness. Why am I saying this? Because I could spend and we could delve in and we could dwell on this, the, 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 the prescription and the rules and the regulations and, in fact, the exceptions and the reasons for separation and the reasons why we can't and the reasons why we can, which is kind of like the 20 minutes or 30 minutes that we got before the rafting. And there's a time to do that, but there's also a time to tell you about the rafting and to celebrate what is good. And so we're going to be focusing on not the rules and regulations so much as the beauty of what God has given us, if that makes any sense. But I'm also aware that there'll be those of you who feel as if you're like me and you're the guy or girl that was pushed out of the boat and you're there at the minute. And it apparently looks like all those people are having a ball. And I, I use the word apparently. 
and it's tough in this swirling water. Hang in there for a wee minute. Just, just hang in because there's something at the end of this for you too. And I'm very aware that, um, that this is a message. It's, it's much easier uh, to be said uh, from, from being in the boat than being in the water. So, the structure today, then, we're going to look at uh, the, the subject of intimacy. That's holy code for sex. Sorry. I um, thought it's easier to say intimacy. Um, it's a bit like Ian. He said something a few weeks ago. He says, I, I nearly said, and then he said the word. Uh, I nearly said sex. Intimacy, uh, which is chapter 6, the second half. Marriage. The first part of chapter 7 and singleness, the second part of chapter 7. We could say so, so much more, uh, but we don't have time. Next slide, please, uh, uh, Corv. <clears throat> so just, I'm not going to go into, I really need to sprint through this. Just to say that we're talking in a situation in Corinth, we've talked a wee bit about this before, where there were these two attitudes to sex and intimacy and marriage. There was this, and it always based upon uh, something else which uh, we don't have time to go into, but let's just go straight into this. There were those that felt, you know, the body means nothing, so just, if it feels good, do it. Uh, and that was the kind of much more liberal thing. It's, it's okay. Uh, and this is reflected in some of the wording in, in, in the passage. If you look in chapter 6, verse 12 and verse 13, I have the right to do anything, you say, Paul says, or food for the stomach and the stomach for food, but God will destroy them both. This sort of attitude that sex is an appetite that needs fed and beyond that it's meaningless. That was one wing. And then the other branch of people were the kind of abstinence, self-denial. And it's picked up in, in chapter 7, verse 1. Uh, it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, even if you're married to her. It's a bad thing. It's an evil thing. And, and you mustn't even talk about it. And if, 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 if there's any misdemeanors, that's like huge in comparison to anything else. These were the two sort of extreme attitudes. But they were very prevalent in that society. And Paul speaks into that, and he says something really revolutionary and really radical that maybe um, doesn't come across as such to us today as he starts, and he talks into the subject of intimacy. So if we move on to the next slide, <clears throat> and, and he de deals with it head on. Prohibitions are important, he's saying, but sexual intimacy is a beautiful thing. Verse 18, he says, flee from sexual immorality. That word immorality uh, is, comes from the Greek word pornea, uh, which is where we get the word pornography from. But the word actually means uh, extramarital, unlawful or unnatural sex, stuff that's outside the context of marriage. And he says, flee from anything outside the context of marriage. He doesn't say flee from it in the context of marriage. He's saying intimacy is not wrong. It's designed for marriage and it's a really good thing. And Paul gives a few reasons for the biblical model of sex and intimacy. Verse 16, he says this. You were designed this way. This is what he says. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute, because that's what was happening, is one with her in body? For it is said that two will become one flesh. 
Paul goes back to the creation instructions. The term flesh is not a physical thing so much as, 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 as a whole person thing. The two will become one whole person. The two becoming one whole person is not just a physical connection. It's an emotional, it's part of an emotional, financial, it's an everything thing. More than just, sex is more than just procreation. It's more than just gratification. It's part of an entire personhood. It's meant to be part of whole life oneness. And the biblical model is if it's part of a whole life commitment, it will nurture your soul. God's model of intimacy in marriage transforms. It completes. And Paul was saying, it's good. And that was quite radical, even to the conservatives. God made us this way. When someone gets married, the two become one flesh. The body is not meant for sexual immorality. You were designed for monogamy. Why would I go against the guidelines of the maker? It's a bit like glue. Glue is is like chemicals that are put together for a purpose of sticking things together. But you can also, some people have discovered, use glue for other purposes. You can, particular types, you can inhale it and it can be, it can make you dream things. (laughs) And people can go, oh, well, I want to use it for that. I have the right to use it. But actually what it's doing is it's messing with their heads. And every time they do it, brain cells die, even more brain cells than normal. But I can still do it. I can still say I have the freedom to do that. But I'm using something which is designed for a totally different purpose in a totally different way. And Paul's saying intimacy in marriage is a beautiful thing. Flee from anything outside that. He also then goes on to say it will enslave you. Verse 12, I will not be mastered by anything. William Barclay says this, and I like it a lot. He says, the great fact of the Christian faith is not that it makes a person free to sin, but it makes a person free not to sin. This stuff can enslave you. This, this it can enslave your mind. It can enslave your body. Flee from it like Joseph fled. Flee from it because it's not part of God's model and it will enslave you. He also goes on to say, verse 19, I love this. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? Do we realize this, that the spirit of the living God, the sovereign God, as we've been thinking of of recently in Isaiah 61, is on me. You were bought with a price. You've been set to free by God. Now thrive. This is a brilliant thing. This is the biblical model, and it's great, but it's worth the wait. If you remember nothing else, sex is great, but it's worth the wait. It rhymes. Next one, he moves on to the talking about marriage. 1 Corinthians 7. And seven, chapter 7 of Corinthians really starts into the second half of Corinthians and it's all about Paul answering questions that people asked. He asked questions about marriage, about food sacrifice to idols, about worship, all these things. And the second half of Corinthians is all about Paul answering these questions. Now, some questions people didn't ask was, what if I'm in a marriage that, where I'm in being abused? He didn't answer that question because he wasn't asked that question. And there are certain things that we have to apply biblical principles to because we can't go chapter and verse to. 
and it's important to say that. But 7 verse 1 says this, now for the matters you wrote about. So now he starts and the whole of chapter 7 is all about answering the questions that they asked him about marriage. Things were complicated. You see, in Corinth, you had this bunch of people who had come to faith. They were already married. And suddenly I'm now married, but my spouse isn't married. My wife or my husband, well, they don't uh, share the same uh, values as me. How do I change uh, that situation? Uh, how should things change now that I'm in a marriage where I'm a person of faith, but my uh, spouse is not? What happens when they don't believe? Do I dissolve the marriage now uh, due to this new context of faith? Some Christian men uh, were unable to have sex with their wives. Couldn't think of a holy way of saying that. Uh, and, and so they were leaving and they were going to prostitutes and things were in a mess. And people were asking Paul about this question. And so Paul answers as follows. 7 verse 3, husbands should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, uh, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. You see, marriage, he says, is a partnership, first of all. It's very radical in this patriarchal society where the man said this and the woman obliged. Uh, Paul was saying, it's not like that. Marriage, in God's eyes, is a partnership. This was dramatic. It's a two-way thing. It's giving. It's serving. You can just see that situation where the, the bloke looks at this verse and says, I like 1 Corinthians 7, 4a. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. I will make that my life verse for the year. I'm going to commit it to memory. I'm going to go to faith mission. I'm going to buy a wee frame. I'm going to put it in it. I'm going to give it to my wife for Valentine's Day. <laughs> Hang it in the bedroom wall. And every night I'm going to say, love, that's my life verse. You not, do not have authority over your own body. That's exactly the opposite of what he's saying. He's saying marriage is about serving. Marriage is about giving. Marriage is a two-way thing. This is the way the message puts it. Marriage is not a place to stand up for your rights. Marriage is a decision to serve the other, whether in bed or out. Rights go both ways. Your body belongs to the other. Paul's saying that marriage is a partnership. It's moving from independence. I remember in, in, in uh, pre-marriage classes that we went to years ago, um, one of the things they, they told us about with these, that this image of marriage being like two rivers coming into one. Uh, and, and, and there's a sense where, where the, uh, the rivers are grand and then they come into one at the very beginning, it's turbulent and it's, it's, it's messy. And then downstream, it, 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 it adjusts and it becomes... Uh, more calm, uh, or words to that effect. Uh, and it's, it's a lovely picture of, of realizing, look, be patient. Come to terms with the one another and so forth. And I remember Beth and I talking to a couple uh, just as we were coming up to get married. And they said to us, look, just, just to be aware of that picture they're ever so right, the first year of marriage sucks. It's the, really the hardest year of marriage. And we said, thanks very much. That's really helpful. And as we were going home, <laughs> but as we were going home, we suddenly realized, how long have they been married? Almost a year. <laughs> so um, they certainly understood the, the turbulent part, and that's a reality. 
But I, I would say this in marriage, I would say, <laughs> I'm not going to ask my family to answer this one, but I would say I have changed in the 20 something years of marriage that I've, I've been married, uh, 26. Um, Bethel's part of me, part of my thinking. She's changed my outlook. I'm very defensive over her. I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm definitely not saying I'm perfect. I'm definitely not going to ask Bethel to comment. Um, but there's a beautiful picture here of enrichment downstream in marriage because it's a partnership and we're, 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 we're radically supplementing each other. And so the second thing that he moves on to in the, in the next bit is verses 10 to 16. Marriage is designed for life. Paul and Jesus had a very high view of marriage. Breakup can happen and Jesus talked about that. And Jesus talked about uh, situations, uh, a situation where divorce can happen and so forth and so did Paul. Uh, but we're not focusing on the safety instructions today. We're focusing on what's in the boat. He's saying, look, it's designed for life. It's designed for life. Not, we don't live in a perfect world, but that was the way marriage was designed. Corinthians were just divorcing just because they become Christians. Some were even teaching to leave your partner. What I do now, people were thinking, is it better to get divorced? And there was a danger, this laissez-faire attitude sneaking in. And so verse 10, Paul says this, to the married I give this command, not I but the Lord. And I think he's quoting what he understood Jesus to have said. A wife must not separate from her husband. And equally the other way around. Paul is quoting what he knew Jesus said, I think. But Jesus, as I said, also gave it an exception to that. As did Paul later. His advice is simply this. Don't separate if possible. But, in verse 11, if she does, if the wife separates, she must uh, remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And if a husband must not divorce his wife, again, equality in both ways. He understood that it takes two to tango, however. And there are complexities and there are impasses. What if I stay? What if, my, what if my spouse is an unbeliever and is not interested? And so Paul goes on in verse 14 and he says, The unbelieving husband has... Uh, sorry, I beg your pardon. I'll come back to that in a wee minute. But in verse 14 he says this, The unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her husband. How do you know, wife, whether or not you will save your husband in verse 16? Or how do you know, husband, whether or not you'll save your wife? What he's basically saying is, look, there are occasions. It's not always going to work. But you're the light of the world. And your husband or wife is at a huge advantage because the Holy Spirit dwells within you you have the opportunity of being used by God in this situation. Do they have the opportunity of rejecting that? And he gets that too. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. I remember uh, seeing just a, a few weeks ago, in fact, yeah, less than a couple of weeks ago, the, the movie Case for Christ. It's on um, Amazon Prime. Uh, it's a I think it's a brilliant movie. It's, a, it's the story of Lee Strobel. Now, he wrote a book called The Case for Christ. Uh, and in that book, he's a journalist that set out to try and disprove Christianity. And reluctantly, he came to the conclusion, my goodness, this is true. 
But the movie charts the whole story of him and his wife. And what happened was they were both atheists. She came to faith and he went, oh, no. She's, oh, dear, she's become one of them Christians. She's going to be a nut job. What am I going to do with this? And he was, he was gutted. She's, she's fallen. And, and it, the, the, the movie really helps chart this, this journey that they had, really tough journey uh, as, as a married couple. But ultimately, in their situation, not in every situation, but in their situation, what happened was because of her grace, because of her faith, because of God working in his life and because of his ultimate, ultimate reluctant um, but a, a journey, he got to a point where he is an amazing apologist for Christ. It's not always that way. Paul realizes this. We don't have the same expectations on those who are outside Christ as we do of those inside Christ. Verse 15, if an unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. It's very possible Paul himself, some commentators suggest that he may have been married before. He may be a widower. His wife may have left him. We don't know. But it struck me, and it may be he's never got married. There's speculation on this. But it would have been very unusual for a rabbi uh, to be unmarried. Very unusual. It's a very different perspective that Paul's speaking into if he's experienced it himself. I really think that's crucial. So... There are necessary exceptions and regulations laid down. So often these are the things that we argue over, but let's not lose sight of the preciousness of the main thing, that God ordained marriage is a beautiful thing. He looked at it and he said, it's not good for the man to be alone. So Adam was put to sleep and God took uh, the rib out of the side of Adam and he created woman and we're told Adam in Genesis 2, he came out of the deep sleep and God presented woman to Adam and he goes... Wow, wow, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She should be called woman for she was taken out of man. Marriage is great. That was revolutionary. But then he moves on to realize that there's another category of person as well. And this was even more radical. Singleness. Singleness. This is good. This is good. In an ancient society, it was all about family. Marriage brought significance. Marriage brought respect. In fact, um, I'm told that, that uh, the emperor, if a widow wasn't remarried within two years, she would be fined. That's how radical this teaching was. It's not just, well, okay to be single. It's good to be single. Verse 8, now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it's good for them to stay unmarried as I do. Verse 26, I think that it's good for a man to remain as he is. Verse 28, those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this. It's almost as if he said to the marriage, do you know what? This is brilliant. This is brilliant. Marriage is fantastic. And to the singles, he's going, it's not worth the hassle, seriously. <laughs> it's, it, this is what the message says. This is what Jesus said about singleness. 
marriage isn't for everyone. Matthew 19, you'll, you'll, it talks about eunuchs and voluntary and all this. Sort of, this is what the message puts it. Marriage isn't for everyone. Some from birth seemingly never give marriage a thought. Others never get asked or accepted. And some decide not to get married for kingdom reasons. And this is what Paul says. It's actually okay to be single. That was an amazing message of the culture of the time. And it's maybe an important message for us. You know, the church, even though Caesar um, brought in fines, the church supported widows and offered them the choice whether to marry or not. That was radical. For Paul, marriage and celibacy are, wait for this, gifts. Not one is superior to the other. I wish that all of you, he says this, all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One is this gift, the other is that. The same word for gift, charisma, that was used in other parts referring to spiritual gifts, graciously given to God for the building up of the church. Singleness is a gift, and it may be that you have that gift. Paul said uh, he saw the benefits of not being held back with responsibilities, but he had real fellowship with his brothers and his sisters in the church, and we read of that in Acts so birth, both marriage and celibacy are manifestations of the gifts of God obtained in the strength which God supplies. This is what Kate Wharton said about uh, singleness. I've never heard a church leader say once, what we could do with in our church is a few more single people. There's something wrong with that. John Stott was single and a great many Christian leaders maybe should have been single. William Carey's wife suffered terribly through the sacrifices demanded of her. John Wesley and others watched marriage fall apart through years of neglect. So verse 32 to 35. So Paul talks about the benefits of single-minded, choice singleness. We need to give more consideration to remaining un, uh, unmarried for the sake of devotion to God. Just picking up at the end in that, in that chunk from verse 32. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's... Sorry, an unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs. How can he please the Lord? But a married man <laughs> is concerned about the affairs of this world. How can he please his wife? It reads kind of funny that way, but you know what he's saying? And his interests are divided. What we could do, let me say it, with our, in our church, is some more singles who understand the gift of singleness and choose it for the glory of God. So, next slide. You're listening to all this. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie. I'm not recommending it. Not a recommendation. Okay, I'm not recommending it. Here's the premise of this movie. There's the cool cops, and then there's the tough cops, but the strap line is, but when they're busy, our only hope is the other guys. These are the boring ones. These are the ones, although the, the guns are there, he starts off with a wooden gun, I think. But um, maybe you feel like that. Maybe you feel like you're one of the other guys. But all these people who are rejoicing in singlehood and rejoicing in marriage, apparently. And maybe you're separated. Maybe you're divorced. Maybe you're married and miserable. Maybe you're single and lonely. Maybe you're in an unhealthy relationship. 
Guess what? Jesus came to bind up who? The brokenhearted. The church is the body of Christ. Next slide. And we're called to be the body of Christ. God has put the body together. Its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. Now you are the body of Christ. And each one of you is part of it. One of our key values is that we are committed to each other. There we are. We're committed to each other. And that we are a community of grace. It's over there too. So what can we say in all of this situation when we realize that not everybody's in the boat? Because some people may have been shoved out because of the mess of the world that we are in, because of the fault of someone else. Who knows? Well, let's think about a few principles. Some principles I, I, I read some time ago with regards to church. First one is this. Brokenness is required for all of us, guys. That's the starting point. I've not come to call the righteousness, the righteous but sinners to repentance, Jesus said. Brokenness is required. We're all broken. We're all on that level playing field. And let's not pretend any of us have got it all sussed. Number two, church is a family. Jesus said, whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother when talking about family. This church is a family made up of people who recognize we have nothing without Christ. We're broken. Number three, singleness is valued. Paul said, I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, the other has that. I, I was speaking to someone uh, a few years ago who came to Grace now and again, single girl, and she said, I can never come in unless somebody's with me. I couldn't, I couldn't. She wasn't blaming us. She loved the church, but she always had to find someone to bring with her. And I thought, there's a perspective I had never, ever understood. Singleness is valued. Next one. Friendship is essential. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. That was a, a verse quoted to me uh, this week. Number five, suffering is normal. No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fails for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. And then he goes on to say, and in the age to come. This is from Jesus. But finally, the next one is this. Heaven is home. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Next slide. We've been thinking of Isaiah 61 in recent times. Especially considering about what we do is taking this out, but we mustn't forget what's in here. He has sent me to proclaim or to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. I'm not pretending to provide answers today. 
I'm trying to be faithful to what the text is saying. That God has ordained things in a certain way. He has given us marriage as a beautiful gift. Singleness is absolutely valued when we think of the context of, of both this life and the life to come. But there's many that are, many, and who knows what tomorrow will bring, are in the swirling waters of that river watching some of the others going down in that boat. And I believe God wants us all to thrive. How do we cope with that? Some in the boat, some out of the boat. Well, we're all family. We're all broken. We value singleness, friendship. I say that because I don't think we've shown that enough. Friendship is essential. Bearing each other's burdens, helping each other, praying through this stuff, supporting each other. I'm not saying you should come up to the front and say, hey, <laughs> my life's a mess. It might be you just need to say to somebody in the church, that's what we're here for. We're a family. But ultimately, we all have our portion of suffering at some point, some far, far, far more than others. But ultimately, our hope is in heaven. When the perfect marriage comes to fruition and every tear will be wiped away and faithfulness right now is important to them. Amen. Amen.